BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Here at Bonus Time on the Ben Jarofsky Show, it's Friday, June 17th, 2022. Here's a headline uh, in the Chicago Sun-Times. I don't know if we're going to get to this. I think we may with my distinguished guest. Uh, but this is just to let you know, if you're listening to this podcast a year from now, what was going on in the news, uh, as my distinguished guest and I had a conversation. So here's the headline in today's Chicago Sun-Times. January 6th panel takeaways. Pence, Gore, past test, Trump flunked. <laughs> Trump flunked test. Oh, my God. It's really a desperate time in America if we are looking to Mike Pence as kind of a hero. Uh, but he did a lot better than Donald Trump when it came to an insurrection uh, and an attempted coup. All right, without further ado, uh, I'm going to ask my... A, a criminal conspiracy to attack this country and undermine our constitutional rights as well as even the freedoms that we are fighting for now so that um, people... So that your starting with this, Ben, is terrific, as you often do. You give a context to what we're doing, not just to remember uh, what's happening on this date, but we, I actually believe we need to tie almost everything we work on to the further expose, not of the date of what happened on January 6th, but that there was a con criminal conspiracy to attack the people of this country and the freedoms that we have fought for for so long, however imperfect, and that that criminal conspiracy was planned, paid for, and is still being promoted by politicians around the country. So so thanks, Ben, for um, introducing whatever we talk about with that. Well, that is the backdrop for everything. You're absolutely correct. Our basic democracy uh, is under siege, is under attack. Uh, all right. But before I take the deep dive into all the issues, I must ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. You've already heard her. Uh, and uh, so just introduce yourself, distinguished guest. My name is Heather Booth. I lived in Chicago for 38 years from 1963 to 1989. I still view that really as my home. Uh, love Ben. I love you. I love your podcast, loved your programs. And, 
uh, was a deep part of the progressive movement in Chicago. I worked for Mayor Washington in his campaign and the wonderful Jackie Grimshaw. And uh, most recently, I think you're probably having me on because uh, I had started an underground abortion service in Chicago uh, years before Roe, where the women themselves performed 11,000 abortions. The uh, name of the underground service was called, we call, said called Jane, and there's a movie called The Janes that is now on HBO and was released uh, just last week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Heather Booth, uh, one of the great activists in Chicago. Uh, it's a mutual fan club. Uh, I am very much in the Heather Booth fan club. All you got to do is Google my name and her name. You see all these articles I wrote about her in the 80s, ladies and gentlemen, in the 80s, including the article where you left Chicago to go to D.C., uh, and, uh, and I was like a farewell to Heather Booth. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, but let's not reminisce about, uh, that moment in your life. We'll talk about the Janes. Uh, that's why I reached out to you though, as any excuse to talk to you about politics, I will take, uh, and then we'll uh, tie it all together with what's going on in terms of reproductive rights, uh, and the, the siege against democracy. Uh, great flick documentary. I want to give a shout out to Tia Lesson and Emma Pildes, who are the directors. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out if you haven't already on HBO. Uh, and it tells the story of the Janes. Uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to go any further. Uh, Heather, why don't you just um, take people back a little bit uh, and explain who the Janes were uh, so they have a sense of the significance of that movement in Chicago uh, in politics. Go ahead. Well, it's always hard to know when something really starts. Um, to some extent, my own involvement started in the civil rights movement. And I was involved with Friends of SNCC in the North in Chicago, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And in 1964, I went to Mississippi with the Freedom Summer Project, which many of your listeners have either heard about or were around at the time or, or heard about later. Uh, that's when Northern students were recruited to support the very courageous struggle for voting rights in Mississippi and to help bring the eyes of the nation on what was going on in Mississippi in those days. I was 18 years old and the summer project gained notoriety because three of the young volunteers, Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, and Michael Schwerner, were killed at the hands of the Klan, made national news. And even in a time of terror, where politicians were using this suppression of the African-American vote for their own political advantage, even in those times, because people organized, within a year we had a Voting Rights Act. And I mention it in that context because it taught me such a fundamental lesson that in the face of even great horror or hardship, the way through is to organize, is to join with others, to have concerted action, even when it looks most difficult. I also learned that we need to stand up to illegitimate authority. So taking those lessons, I came back to Chicago. I was back at the university and a friend uh, told me that his sister was pregnant and nearly suicidal and was looking for someone to provide an abortion. I hadn't really thought about the issue before. I haven't had to deal with it myself. I 
thought I would respond by doing a good deed, sort of like the golden rule to treat others as I would want to be treated. And so I went to the medical arm of the civil rights movement, the Medical Committee for Civil Rights, MCHR, and the head of it in Chicago was Quentin Young. Some people may remember him, a great uh, progressive voice. And he directed me to some other physicians, and I ended up in connection with Dr. T.R.M. Howard. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but Dr. Howard had been a uh, courageous civil rights champion in Mississippi when his name appeared on a Klan death list, in part because he wanted an investigation into the murder of Emmett Till, who was a Chicago teenager who was killed also at the hands of the Klan when it was charged that uh, a white woman said he had whistled at her, though in fact it turned out even that was a lie she later recanted. So Dr. Howard left Mississippi, came to Chicago. Again, I didn't know this at the time, but he had set up a clinic on 63rd Street called Friendship Clinic. And I contacted him about doing the abortion. He agreed. The cost was $500. I passed that on to my friend. The procedure was successful. And I thought that would be the end of it for me. But word must have spread and someone else called and then someone else called. And each time I put them in touch with Dr. Howard, Dr. Howard provided the procedures and really caring support. And I realized enough women were coming through that I need to create a system. Rather than have them ask for an individual, this was at a time when three people talking about having an abortion in Chicago was a conspiracy to commit a felony. And so I, so instead of asking for an individual, we said, call Jane, ask for Jane. Um, over time, more and more people started coming through. And finally, there were too many. I couldn't handle it myself. I also was in grad school. I, I was expecting my first child. I got married to a wonderful movement partner, Paul Booth, who had worked for AFSME in Chicago and then worked for the, the union, American Federation of state, county, and municipal employees, and then worked for them uh, at the national level. Um, and we were expecting our first child. And I was also working full-time. And it was just too much for me to continue with. So I recruited other women into this service. And I turned over the connection, first that we had had with Dr. Howard. And then what happened is I lost connection with Dr. Howard and made connection with someone else whose name was Mike. And it was the same terms we had as we had with Dr. Howard. Originally, Dr. Howard was charging $500. We had people coming through who didn't have that. We said, could you have two for the price of one? Could we have three for the price of one? What if someone doesn't have money, but we'll get someone else who's coming through who can pay? And, uh, Mike agreed to the terms, and we also learned more about what was really involved so we could counsel the women in advance. What was involved? Would there be any pain? What do you do in advance? What do you do as a follow-up? And created quite a counseling service. Then over time, there were so many women coming through, maybe a hundred a week at one point. It was too much for Mike to handle 
And Mike agreed to teach the women who had been in Jane, the women of Jane, how to do the procedures. And then it turned out Mike wasn't a doctor. And the women realized if Mike isn't a doctor and he can do this, they can do it. And the women of Jane, between 1965 and 1973, when Roe became the law of the land, the women of Jane performed 11,000 abortions. There's more to the story, and people might want to see the HBO film. Uh, the story is, is really quite dramatic and uh, remarkable, um, but that's the broad outline. Yeah, uh, well done. Uh, that's a good synopsis. And uh, yeah, let's, well, I will resist the temptation to take the deep dive in the movie because I really urge, uh, as Heather was saying, our listeners to check it out. It's a great flick. Mike uh, is one of the most fascinating characters, Heather, I've seen in the documentary in a long time. Uh, I, 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 when I'm, my wife and I were watching, we're like, is this guy for real? Like, <laughs> and that's <laughs> my, what a character. Okay. And the fact that, he was a lifeline in, for so many women that it came down to him uh, shows the utter absurdity. This is me speaking. The utter absurdity of uh, uh, an abolition on abortion to make abortion illegal. The fact that women had to go to a guy like Mike. Uh, I don't it's it's so ludicrous. Uh, and we were lucky, you know, in a strange way, Heather, that Mike was a decent enough human being as he was. Do you follow me? I mean, he could have been far worse in some ways. Well, and there were many women who went to people who were in the mob. If you make something that is needed illegal, people have no choice. You know, when once Roe was made, uh, made abortion the law of the land, one point there was one in three people who were, uh, who could have a child would have an abortion. One in three. Now, uh, then it became one in four. And I just saw that uh, this week, the numbers now is one in five. But that means one in five people will choose to end an unwanted pregnancy. So that means it could be your sister, your cousin, your friend. It could have been your mother in that most of the women, the majority of the women who have abortions are mothers already. It means they know what it is to give birth to and care for a, uh, for a child. And they've decided that at this point in their life, they just can't manage it. And we should realize this is the most intimate decision in a person's life. It's the most precious freedom to decide when or whether or with whom we have a child. And there's now a pushback to make this illegal, to criminalize it, and in some states, to provide a bounty. Will you get paid if you inform on someone else who is even talking about having or being involved with an abortion? And in Texas, they're willing to pay $10,000. And then Oklahoma said they might consider $100,000 as a bounty fee. This is something I thought only happened in dictatorships, authoritarian countries. And so this, this pushback 
on this most intimate decision of a person's life about when or whether or with whom to have a child is part of the pushback on our fundamental freedoms, the freedom to vote, the freedom for who we can marry, the freedom to have contraceptives, the freedom to have a democracy. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a great pushback on a lot of issues, as Heather was uh, uh, pointing out. But let's just keep it on reproductive rights for a moment before we uh, broaden it. Uh, the movie ends, and again, I'm, I'm holding back on details, ladies and gentlemen, because I don't want to give it away. It's It, it, it kind of has like a mystery element to it. Uh, so I urge everybody to check it out because there's the police get involved. And I don't, again, just check out the movie. But the movie ends with a happy, I got it in quotes, ending because uh, the Supremes ruled uh, uh, for a woman's right to choose that there's essential privacy between a woman uh, and her doctor uh, that should not be violated by the state intervening to say uh, the doctor cannot provide an abortion for the woman, the doctor cannot counsel the woman about uh, her medical condition and how an abortion would help her, et cetera, and so forth. So just think about that. If that's not cancel culture, I don't know what it is. Uh, the Supremes ruled uh, that the government cannot uh, intervene and violate that privacy uh, protection for the woman uh, and the doctor, free speech for doctors. Uh, and that ruled the land uh, for the better part of the last, I don't know what it's been, 50-odd years. Uh, the uh, anti-abortion movement, MAGA, has been chipping away, chipping away, and chipping away. Uh, and lo and behold, a happy ending, uh, and again, I have the happy in quotes, from the Janes, uh, is about to become an unhappy ending because as we speak, Heather, the Supreme Court is about getting ready to issue a ruling that we've talked about many, many times on this show uh, that will reverse Roe and leave states free to outlaw abortion. So they go back to the way it was in Illinois when you were a student at the University of Chicago back in the 60s. Uh, and uh, so put on your hat as a political strategist and put on your hat uh, as an activist when you respond to this question. How in the world did we get to the point where we had a Supreme Court, uh, a majority in the Supreme Court, that uh, is ready to throw out Roe, which is just a, an essential, pivotal uh, protection for privacy rights? How in the, how in the world did that happen uh, and uh, what lessons do you take from it as to what Democrats can do to undo it or see that it doesn't happen again on other issues? One of the things that's changed is that abortion has become a partisan political issue with enormous amounts of money behind it from a Republican MAGA wing uh, who's driving this issue. Um, there was a deal made by a portion of the Republican Party with a portion of the evangelical churches to have the churches try and deliver the vote uh, or part of the vote uh, in exchange for uh, both increased resources and a commitment to carry out what was their own uh, religious agenda. Uh, in fact, one of the movies that was nominated for an Academy Award, The Eyes of Tammy Faye Baker, I thought it was so interesting. There's a portion of the movie where 
Paul Weirich, who's a political operative of the right wing, um, who's around for uh, Ronald Reagan's election and, and after, makes a deal, and it's explicit in the movie, and he's telling Tammy Faye about uh, how this arrangement will work and the connection between the evangelical churches and the uh, right wing of the uh, Republican Party. Um, and it's interesting. So once it was so politicized and so much money was behind it, it changed as an issue. And it started to also change some people's attitudes who were associated with that party. Now, there also may be people who, um, out of their own personal faith, religious connection, also share this belief uh, and are opposing uh, this intimate choice for other women. But um, we should know this is, it, it's for many, this is a religious belief from one sector of religions. In fact, I just heard, I think last week, that a synagogue in Florida is suing Ron DeSantis, the governor, to say that this is putting a Christian evangelical uh, religious belief into law in violation of Jewish faith practice because there is part of Jewish halakhic law, which is the um, sort of the ultimate arbiter in, in those who have a, uh, uh, an Orthodox Jewish belief, that if the life of the mother is at stake, it is required to consider an abortion. And so it's the partisanship, the money, the narrowness of an evangelical belief uh, pushed and promoted uh, and then further publicized. Now, this all is happening at the same time that right now, 80% of the public believes that a politician should not come between a woman and her doctor in making this most intimate decision of our lives. And three quarters of the population don't think that Roe should be overturned. Um, and so this is against what is popular. It's against what is small d democratic in a country that's supposed to be at least small d democratic. But it also reflects the politicization of the Supreme Court, even in violation of their oaths of office. When the five Supreme Court justices that are quite likely to vote for overturning Roe in, in part or in whole were nominated, they said that they thought that Roe was established law and they were not likely to overturn established law. And if Roe is overturned, it means that goes by. They, it means that some of them probably uh, were dishonest under oath. And in addition, they do not represent the will of the American public. All of those five justices were nominated by presidents who were not elected by the majority of the popular vote of this country. Since 2000, uh, since 1998, uh, 1988, 1988, Democrats 
have won the, pre the popular vote of the presidency in every election, except perhaps 2004. And, uh, but because of our electoral college system, it means that the person who wins the majority of the popular vote may not become the president. And it result is the people on the Supreme Court who may rule to overturn Roe. You asked, how did we get here? They are violating what is popular in this country. They are violating the will of the American public. They may be violating their nominated statement of uh, uh, really part of their oath of office. And they're uh, violating the terms of what should be a democracy. So that is part of how we got here. Now, it is also true what it means is that we have not, we, those people who want to protect and expand uh, the reproductive freedom that women have in this country, that we have not adequately converted our popular support and our popular organization into political power. And right now, there are many people who think politics isn't serving their interests, so they don't care. Particularly, many young people feel that way, but many others too. And so the result is all the popular will that we feel may not get converted electorally, and it may not get converted that way in all the states where it needs to. And so what we need to do now is particularly as an election is coming up, remember, we are the majority of this country. We can have majority control if we convert the popular will into electoral power. Let's let's reflect on that. And I wrote it down. We have not converted uh, our pop the our popular will into power. Uh, so a very crucial uh, series of elections is coming up. Uh, in November, talk about it all the time in this show, control of the Senate and control of the House. And right now, I point this out, the uh, Democrats, along with two Republicans, are doing an investigation into the insurrection of January 6th to the attempted coup and the threats against Mike Pence's life, etc., and Nancy Pelosi's life. Uh, if the Congress is taken over by the Republicans, uh, that uh, investigation will be uh, thwarted uh, and instead, I predict they will begin an impeachment hearing against uh, Joe Biden on some cooked up charges. I actually believe that will happen. Well, and they, they've uh, said that they will. They said they will. So I take them at their word. You should always take them at their word. Um, all right. So, Heather Booth, you're a political strategist. Put on your political strategist hat. What is the message that you believe Democrats should be articulating as we head into November? in order to keep the House from going Republican and keep the Senate in Democratic hands. Go ahead. We can win and we can change this world if we organize with love at the center. That is the fundamental belief I have about this time and really about all times. Just remember of what we can do if there were two more senators and if we sustain the House at the federal level, and we also have to talk about what hap what's happening in the states, but at the federal level, just imagine we could have uh, universal pre-K, we could have uh, greater care uh, at home care and senior care, we could have 
uh, addressing climate as an issue. We certainly could sustain, we even could codify uh, Roe v. Wade and sustain uh, this uh, most intimate decision in a person's life about when or whether to have a child. We could address uh, sensible gun laws. There are so many issues that have the vast majority of popular support for them, but we don't have the political power to make it happen. So partly we need to know we what's at stake, the impact we could have, why it's worth the fight. Secondly, we should realize the public is with us. There were 81 million votes for Biden. There were 1.7 more votes for Biden than for Trump. The 80 million was more votes than any presidential nominee had ever had. And the public is with us on these issues, but we have to make that conversion into political power. And there are reasons that we can do it. The redistricting that happened uh, is actually more in our favor than we thought it would be. There's actually one more House seat, uh, at least, and there may be more who are now in the Democratic favor rather than Republican. And also we should realize that an election is not just and should not be just a referendum. Are you doing everything that we want? That's a referendum. Are you this one-sided issue? Are you doing everything we want? We clearly want more, but it's a choice. An election is a choice. And if you have to compare the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates in race after race, Herschel Walker running in Georgia, um, the Republican nominee, yes, he has name recognition as a football player, but uh, he lied that he was a college graduate. He lied and said he was in the top of his top 1% of his class at college. He lied about the number of children who he didn't even acknowledge who are existing. Uh, one came, came forward, I think, yesterday. Um, so that's one candidate. Uh, or, or Oz. Uh, this phony Dr. Oz selling phony cures, uh, qu quack cures uh, in Pennsylvania. As you look at the candidates, this is a choice between real people. And the quality of the uh, commitment of the progressive and the Democratic candidates. So partly the election is a choice. We should have confidence about that. But it will need us to get out and do the work. And then you go back to, you've mentioned January 6th a couple of times. It's not just about that day. But January 6th was, as I said at the top of the call, a criminal conspiracy that was paid for, planned, and promoted by a right-wing MAGA faction, many of whom are running for office now. This is not about one day. So it's up to us. We have the support of the American public, if we make that manifest, if we do the work, and the stakes are so high, it's worth our efforts. And if we organize, we will change this world. When we've organized in the past, we have changed this world. And then when you send out the message to others about what we need to do and provide hope, and clarity, you help us realize we will change this world if we organize. Uh, how concerned are you about uh, the economy? 
again, as a political strategist, I read uh, article after article, the Democrats are behind the eight ball uh, when it comes to inflation uh, and when it comes to the possibility, God help us all, of a recession uh, brought on by fighting inflation. Uh, there's a certain madness out there, uh, Heather, and uh, how concerned are you about uh, the economy uh, as a force in November? Well, it's clearly a force. Right now, people in the country are dispirited. Many are hopeless. Many are just exhausted. There's so much hate going around. There's so much anger. There's so much contention. We've had a lockdown. People are still suffering from that. And then the prices are going up. Gasoline, food, housing, homeless crisis continues. So there are many reasons why people are dispirited. And we have a lot of headwinds against us in a midterm election. Generally, those, the party in power, often can lose seats. That's, that's been the historic norm. But we can change the historic norm. At the same time that all that's happening, and it is a serious challenge, Biden has taken re some remarkable steps. Um, he's releasing uh, oil from the petroleum reserves. By the way, the oil companies, the price gouging that's going on uh, that uh, at a time when it really, it should be uh, unpatriotic. Uh, it should be against the law to do this kind of price gouging when people are in such need. Um, and Biden is doing a number of things to try and lower prices. The whole effort around the Build Back Better bill, which if we pass it, will be an attempt to lower gas, lower energy prices, to lower um, the cost of childcare, and to lower prescription drug prices. And uh, it still may happen. He's also really taken very bold leadership, uh, trying to address this baby formula crisis with uh, more flights coming in with specialized formula. I understood there were um, thousands of, um, of bottles of formula, uh, probably hundreds of thousands, I don't recall the exact number, uh, that are coming in. He's taken leadership on that. He took leadership on COVID, and now there's a new uh, vaccine for those even under five years old, down to a few months, uh, as well as limiting the scope of this pandemic because he took leadership. And then he also was able to pass an infrastructure bill when Trump had said he would pass it and others have wanted to pass it, never been able to, but he was able to negotiate that. And then also able to put money in people's pockets during the lockdown. So yes, it's been, it's been a very difficult period, but he's been able to mitigate some of the pain because he really cares about people and not just protecting the special interests. All right, let's close with even more positive uh, vibrations to uh, admit to the universe. I'm a big believer in doing that, uh, Heather. Uh, on a personal level, I got to believe uh, that this, your appearance and the appearance of photos and footage of like a 20 something year old Heather Booth, uh, going back into a time capsule, yeah, in the, in the, in the movie, the James, but I, your appearance in, in the movie has, must have, uh, resulted in a lot of positive feedback for you personally, in terms of younger people who now understand your legacy or what you were doing or what women like you were doing, uh, back in the sixties and seventies. And I'm, 
I've got to believe that carries uh, a positive message going forward. Am I correct in that? The most important message, I think, is that people have faith in themselves and in each other. And that if we organize and take action with love at the center, we can change this world for the better. So I thank you, Ben, for this program. I thank uh, the listeners for your interest, your involvement, and I hope to celebrate many victories with you all together. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the great Heather Booth. Thank you very much, Heather. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 